Welcome back to Point of Insanity Game Studios P3 in General Podcast. My name is Al, and with me, my co-host, Steve. How's it going, Steve? I'm doing pretty good, Al. How are you doing? Oh, not too bad. Uh, now, I had a birthday last month, and I know as we're recording this, uh, Steve's birthday is coming up very soon. Happy birthday, Steve. Yeah, happy belated birthday back to you. Oh, thank you. And... We are almost to that magic number of 40, that age where supposedly life begins. So, Steve, would you say that that makes us old school? It's all a matter of perspective, I think, nowadays. Yeah. I I would say we're somewhat old school with how we act and how we deal with stuff. Yeah, and it's, I mean, really, it's amazing how technology has changed in our lifetime you know i think you know of course we both remember a time before the internet facebook twitter and social media so and of course we remember the days of you know the old days of video games where your character was just a little square moving around on the screen and of course now we have video games where it looks almost like you're playing a movie so kidding so but it's certainly amazing how things have changed. I mean, Steve, do you remember your first internet connection when you first discovered the internet? Well, I've known the internet, but first time I ever personally was able to get the internet, I would say my internet speed was uh, the dial-up 28.8 speed. Yep. And, of course, I remember one of the things I remember about uh, the internet back then, you know, what's strange. It's like back then... If a website took a minute to download, we were okay with that. However, nowadays, if a website takes longer than 10 seconds to download, we're usually like, what's taking so long? Download faster. What's wrong with my internet? Yeah, and another thing that I think people take for granted nowadays is the fact that uh, you have unlimited internet. Um, Because I remember the first internet connection that my family had, uh, we, I think we got like 15 hours a month or 15 hours a week. I forgot which. I think the younger people nowadays don't necessarily understand or they probably find it hard to believe that there used to be a time when the internet was not just slow, but when you actually had to pay, in some cases, by the minute. So it was something where, you know, you only used for if you had to do something really important. So if you wanted to go uh, spend an hour on a, well, if there were social networking sites back then, if you wanted to go spend an hour on a social networking site, you probably wouldn't do that because it would probably cost you quite a lot of money to do that. This kind of ties into our topic today. Uh, This is going to be a two-parter called Kicking It Old School. So for this two-part series of podcasts, uh, we're going to be uh, talking a little bit about the uh, what's considered old school and where that dividing line is between old school and new school. Now, Steve, when you describe something that's old school, how do you define old school? Uh, for me, I would say old school would be something in the era before the present generation of people. 
something. Yeah, and that's, I think that's how a lot of people like to describe old school, describing something that is from an earlier age that we still look fondly uh, back on. Because I don't know about you, but I've never heard anyone use old school in a derogatory sense. Uh, usually, if someone's talking about something being old school, they're not insulting it. They're just saying it's from an earlier age and it has a certain nostalgic feel. Or they're just telling the person how old they are. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Where, uh, of course, is the, you know, if we were going to assume that old school meant something negative, that's usually when people, uh, if something they say it's outdated, that's, you know, certainly different from being old school. So, since we're talking about video games, let's start by first going old, old school. Now, when you were a kid, Steve, did you ever own an Atari or a ColecoVision or a television? Oh, well, of course my parents owned a television, <laughs> but dealing with the Atari, no, I did not own one. Uh, but my uh, cousin did, and that was the uh, first uh, experience I had with the Atari game system. Yeah, we never had an Atari either. Um, I know we had a couple of friends that had Ataris, and it was a big deal back then uh, because I was reading, I was uh, doing a little research. I looked on the Game Informer website, and they have a graphic where they show how much video game systems cost when they first were released, as well as adjusted for inflation, how much they would cost today. Uh, when they were saying like an Atari 2600, back in 1977, had an average price of about $200, where if you adjusted it for inflation, it would be close to $800 today. Can you imagine spending $800 for a video game system? Heck, I'm still struggling dealing with a 400 game system like the Xbox One. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, you think about it, uh, at least with some of the more advanced systems like you know the PlayStation 4 and Xbox One, you can do things other than play video games on them. Where, of course, for back then, you know, you had these expensive game systems that all they did were play games. So at least you got your, your money's worth. I mean, I know several, I know many people who have Atari 2600s that they've had since they were kids, and they still work just fine. Because, um, yeah, they were expensive, but back then they built those things to last. Where, of course, if you have an Xbox 360, it can red ring on you any day. Yep. Or some other part of it breaks down. Yeah. So really, back then, I mean, if you knew someone or if you were lucky enough to have a home video game system, it was kind of a big deal. I mean, really, being able to go to a friend's house and play video games in their living room or basement or bedroom, that was pretty cool, wouldn't you say? Yeah, it was a whole lot better than having to go to an arcade and having to pay like 25 cents to play one round. Oh yeah, and I was that was definitely part of the attraction not having to go to the arcade uh, even though the arcades usually had better graphics. So what are some things that you remember about these old school games like Pac-Man, Donkey Kong, uh, Space Invaders, Centipede and so on? Basically, you were stuck on that screen. Yeah, and that's something I that definitely was very true for the uh, the games of this era. Usually, you were just on one screen. Now, for some games like Donkey Kong and Donkey Kong Jr., the the screens did eventually change. 
But again, it was kind of cool because these new levels gave you additional challenges. Where of course with things like Space Invaders, again, you stayed on the same screen. The only thing that really changed is the character, the enemies would get faster and faster and faster until it was almost impossible to keep up. So we can probably say that's one thing that could define old school uh, during this era because again, just one screen games, usually very simple. But how would you define new school? Uh, that's, like I said, all in the eye of the beholder. Is no new school, old school. It depends on the reference of what you're talking about or what's happening. New school, I would have to say it's something newer than what you're used to. Yep, and I think that's a very good uh, definition as well. Uh, if we want to try to picture a definition for new school in terms related to video games, something new school can be thought of as something innovative, uh, something new and original. And one of the games that I remember quite fondly from the Atari era, uh, did you ever play the Raiders of the Lost Ark? No, I can't say I have played that particular one. Yeah, because I was a big Indiana Jones fan back in the day, and a family friend of ours had uh, that game. And one of the things that was so interesting about it is it had an inventory management system. And there was a bit more problem solving, like, for example, you started out, you went to this bazaar, uh, and you had to get a flute, which, well, something that if you use your imagination, it looks like a flute, and you would use that to uh, avoid getting killed by snakes. Of course, you could also get a whip and a gun uh, and a grenade, and then uh, what you would do is you had to try to find your way through you know, different rooms. And it's, like you said, since you were carrying multiple items, you had to use the second controller to select those items. So that was kind of new school, pretty innovative for its time because you usually didn't see games that had an inventory management system. Now, thinking back to those days, what are some of your favorite games from that era? Uh, in the Atari era, can't quite say what ones were my favorite because I can barely remember that time come on it's almost been about 30 years <laughs> yep but i would have to say the games i got most used to was i know pitfall pong battle tank i think it was called battle tank yeah i I'd, I'd have to say there's two games that i particularly remember uh pitfall i always liked that one as well because of course it had the 20 minute time limit so there was always the challenge to see if you can make it to the end of the 20 minutes. But um, another one I liked, Combat. And that was the one where it had several different modes. Like you might be two tanks fighting each other. Uh, tanks with ricochet. Another mode might have tanks with ricocheting bullets. And then another mode you might have the tanks with the invisible walls. And of course they also had uh, jets as well. The next era, again, which definitely would probably be considered old school by today's standards. That is the 8-bit era. And this is one that I think both of us probably remember very fondly because this is when we actually got our first video game system. Because uh, I had a Nintendo growing up, and I know you had a, a Nintendo as well. Yep. And one of the things that was um, interesting about the way Nintendo marketed it um, they had several different versions of the entertainment system. You could get just the basic one that just had a 
I think it was like, I don't know, remember if it included two controllers or just one, but it didn't have a packing game. And then there was the version that had just Super Mario Brothers. The, the version I had, it had the, uh, the light gun and it had Super Mario Brothers and Duck Hunt. There was the one that had Gyromite uh, with the robot. Then there was the one that I had gotten, the one that had Super Mario Brothers, Duck Hunt, and Track and Field. Yep. One with, the, uh, floor mat. Yep, which, again, one of the earliest attempts at what they call extra gaming, where they try to use video games to get you to exercise. But, of course, we didn't really do much with the, the pad. Most of the time, of course, we were on the floor, you know, pounding it with our hands. Instead of running. Yeah, so we're getting more exercise with our hands than actually, uh, you know, actually doing any running. But it, it was just a game. So a lot of, really, during this era, the 8-bit era, there were a lot of vast improvements. And more than just graphics and you know, better graphics and better sound. Because, of course, games had more memory now, so you, game programmers could do more. Um, yeah. So... Uh, for example, uh, one thing that I remember is uh, some of those earlier games had uh, passwords or battery saves because some of these games were designed to be, you know, games that you didn't just play uh, until you died. You know, they were designed to be very lengthy, so they, you know, you would need a, a password. Being, yeah, gave you means that you can continue on when you had to end for the day. Yeah, and... Then, of course, one uh, thing that we start to see more common here than we, well, something that's more common during this era than that was during the Atari age, uh, we, you mentioned before, well, with games like Pac-Man and Space Invaders, you stayed on one screen. But with the improving technology now, game designers could give you more diverse games. Uh, like, for example, talk about one game that I think just about everyone has played at least once, Super Mario Brothers. Yep. Because with the side scroller here, it wasn't just on one screen. Uh, again, you had different, you went through different environments. There were overworld levels, there were underworld levels, underwater levels, and castle levels. Um, so, you know, again, very kind of innovative for the time because we didn't see that as much in the, the earlier games because usually we were just limited to that one screen. That brings up another game, Legend of Zelda. Yep, one of my favorites still to this day. Basically, that game, you start it out in this one square, but then you can start going to different squares. That gave you better view of a world that you could play in. On top of that, you know, it had an ability where you can deal with an inventory management. Oh, yeah, it's its inventory management system was much, much, much better than uh, Indiana Jones because all you did is just press the button and it brought it up so you didn't have to mess around with two controllers. But in a way, we could say that Legend of Zelda was almost a new school game back then because it broke, it broke several molds. You know, again, it wasn't, you weren't just limited to one screen. Well, you were on one screen at a time, but you went to other screens. Um, and again, it it was very free-roaming, open-ended. Yep, some of the best music to ever come out of the 8-bit Nintendo, at least in my opinion. And, of course, that game very near and dear to me because that was 
one of the first games that I actually bought. Uh, I mean, I don't include the Super Mario Brothers Duck Hunt because... That know, came with the system. Yeah, I mean, they were the packing, so I didn't get any choice of the matter. But yeah, again, one of my, definitely one of my favorites for the, the free roaming and the exploration aspect of the game. And, of course, uh, one of the things that was very uh, unique for games of this era, like Super Mario Brothers, Zelda, uh, Metroid, Kid Icarus, Castlevania, some of those early games, you also had a very definite ending. So it gave you something to aspire to, and the fact that you had the battery saved and the passwords was nice because, again, now game developers could make these longer, more complex games so you didn't have to just you know, sit there and play until you die. So what are some of your favorite games from the 8-bit era? Oh, you know, everyone's favorite. You got Legend of Zelda, and then its sequel, The Adventures of Link. Those were a couple of my favorites. Then there was Gauntlet. Yeah, Gauntlet's another one I loved, both um, on the in the arcades. But, uh, of course, I remember you had that game. And I know we uh, certainly spent a lot of time playing that when we were kids. Uh, so oh. that, so I'd have to say, in addition to Legend of Zelda and Gauntlet, uh, two of my other favorite games from that era, River City Ransom. That was one of those games that it was fun to play, whether you were alone or with someone else. Uh, so even though it's a, it's a pretty simple game, like I said, still a lot of fun. But uh, another one was Pool of Radiance for the the NES. Now I know that they did release Pool of Radiance for home computers. And of course, when they ported it to the uh, the Nintendo, then, it, you know, of course they had to make changes. But for those who aren't may not be familiar with it, uh, Pool of Radiance was a role-playing game using the first edition uh, Advanced Dungeons and Dragons rule set. It took some liberties with things, but that's a topic I planned to cover on a later date. Eventually, I would like to do an episode just about Dungeons and Dragons games. From here, we're going to move to a period that uh, I call not as old school, and this is the 16-bit era, which I'd have to, I don't know about you, but I'd have to say this is probably one of my favorite eras in gaming. Yeah, because I think this is about the time where we really got into video gaming. Yeah, and I mean, of course, not only did you have better music, better graphics, uh, the I know the the controllers definitely improved and were uh, you know a lot better than the than ones on the Nintendo, but I don't know why, just for some reason, there were just some really fun games made during this era. So there were three major competitors during this time, the Super Nintendo, the Sega Genesis, and the Odd Man Out. Do you remember the TurboGrafx-16? Can't say I can remember it. TurboGrafx just never really caught on very much, and I'm not sure why. I mean, the, the couple games I played, they weren't bad, but they really didn't stick out as being great in my mind. But... Well, let's start with one, the Super Nintendo, because I know both of us uh, had that during the uh, th this particular time frame. So what are some of the things you remember most about the Super Nintendo? Well, like you, you've been saying, there was better graphics. You know, some of the music in the background was a lot more catchier. 
you know, you can also say that the saves, you know, the passwords type deal, got a little bit easier to deal with. Yeah, and one thing that I did like about games in this era is, for the most part, they did move away from uh, from passwords and more towards uh, battery packs. Because one of the things that kind of sucked about passwords, how many times has this happened to you? You, you? you play a game, you stop, you take down the password, you come back a few hours later, you enter it, and eh, wrong password. Yeah, you accidentally miswrote one letter, and now you can't figure out what letter it is. Yeah, and I always, I always hated it when game designers did passwords that contained numbers, letters, uppercase and lowercase, special symbols, and punctuation. Um, also, another thing that we start to see in this era is the development of more visual effects. Uh, like, do you remember Mode 7? Uh, vaguely, like I said, this is going to be almost 20 years ago now. <laughs> well, remember Final Fantasy 3 for the Super Nintendo when you got in the airship? Oh, yeah. Yep, that was Mode 7. Um, I know there's been other games that they used it in as well, but again, pretty high-tech for its time. Uh, of course, and as you got to some of the later games, I believe it was Donkey Kong Country used pre-rendered 3D graphics, uh, which is how they were able to get such really good graphics on the, the, the Super Nintendo. Um, another thing I noticed is there really weren't as many add-ons during the 16-bit era as there were for uh, the, uh, the 8-bit era. I mean, because I remember, I mean, we remember that the, the Super Nintendo, it had the robot. I'm sorry, not the Super Nintendo, the 8-bit Nintendo. It had the robot. Also had that power glove. Yep, the power glove, uh, the zapper, the uh, the pad. Yep. Uh, what are some of the other ones? I know, of course, they had tons of different types of controllers. Uh, but yeah, again, when we get to the uh, this era, we didn't really see a lot of add-ons for the uh, the Super Nintendo, one of the ones that really sticks out in my mind was the X-Band. Uh, do you remember, did you ever see the X-Band, or did you remember ever hearing about it? I think I remember hearing about it. I just didn't have any uh, experience with it. Yeah, because I actually had one. Um, the uh, What the X-Band was, it was an add-on for the Nintendo and the Genesis. It was unofficial. It was released in 94 though it didn't start to really become widespread until 96. And what this would do is this would allow you to play online games. So what you would do is, you know, you'd plug it in the top of your system, you'd plug the game you want to play in, you'd log into X-Band, and if that game was, or if it had online capabilities, then you could play it against someone else. Now, the problem was, since it was unofficial, um, some of the games were very laggy, and that's because, well, a lot of these games were released before the X-Band was, was released, so the company had to reverse engineer the game so that you could play it um, over the internet. And, of course, part of the problem is, this was the days of dial-up, so again, a lot of lag, and... Uh, another thing that kids today probably won't have to experience the the horrors of. Remember, remember back in the days when you had the phone line, which also was the internet line. So if if someone was using the internet, you couldn't get phone calls. 
Yeah, that was one of the slight downfalls for the dial-up. Yeah, I do not miss those days at all. So, you know, again, it wasn't cheap because not only did you you had to pay a monthly subscription fee, but not only that, I believe there was some there was a fee if you could if you wanted to play someone out of your area. So, in a way, the the X-Man was kind of ahead of its time, but it was re- it was really released at the wrong era. Um, and by 1997, it was pretty much dead. But still, other than, uh, you know, the, that huge failure of the X-Man, a lot of success around this time. Uh, again, we mentioned that there's just something about the games that really made them memorable. So what were some of your favorite games from this era? Well... I would have to say rock and roll racing was my favorite oh, one. Oh yeah. I had to play with uh, a lot of friends. There was uh, another one, uh Pirates of the Dark Water. Yeah, I mean Pirates of Dark Water, that was one that I really enjoyed, I know cuz we played that a lot and it was basically a side scrolling beat 'em up similar to uh Final Fight. You had yep. three characters, you had your your strong but slow character, your weak but fast and you're well balanced, but one thing I liked about that game, you could block. Not something you saw happen in a lot of uh, those street fighting games. Uh, yep. and, you know, the the side scrollers like you know, the final fight. Usually only your enemies could block, but you couldn't. Um, so, so that was pretty cool. A uh, little bit, so I had a little more, bit more diversity of gameplay than your average uh, side scrolling beat 'em up. Uh, Rock and Roll Racing, as you mentioned, that was another really fun one. Uh, Final Fantasy III, which technically is Final Fantasy VI, but we're not going to get into that right now. Yeah. But, so let's just take a moment to talk about that one, because I know that was a game you really liked, too. What were some of the things that you enjoyed about Final Fantasy III? Well, other than the storyline that was actually in it, you know, then you got your wide variety of characters where you can mix and match your party. You know, the music. Oh, that's yeah. I really started getting into, you know, soundtrack music. Exactly. It was um, one of the, I remember back in the day, they actually released a three CD set called Kefka's Domain, which contained the music of Final Fantasy III. Uh, it was the it it was the original game music. So yeah, it was that's definitely one of the the best things for the game is that the fact that it was it had such good music. Um, and again, memorable characters. It had a good storyline, and I also liked the customization options as well, where uh, you know you had the relics, so that gave you that gave you a little bit more customization options. Uh, then, of course, you could equip the espers to improve certain abilities. Uh, so if you have, like, one of the characters who's more of a fighter, like Sabin or Cyan or Edgar, you could pump up their strength, whereas you could uh, use espers to increase magic ability for people who are primarily spellcasters, you know, like, uh, what was the little girl's name? Realm or Strago. Yeah, or Terra. Yep. And, you know, and each character had, you know, their own little special options, like Sabin had his Blitz, uh, Terra could later transform into an Esper, uh, Salis had her, her runic ability, Locke could, of course, steal, because he was the thief, or I'm sorry, not the thief, Treasure Hunter, 
Yep. <laughs> so yeah, and there were some there was some good dialogue. So oh, definitely one of those games where if you haven't played Final Fantasy three yet or six, whatever, however you want to call it, do yourself a favor, go out and play it. I know it's available for Virtual Console for the Wii. I think it's available for the Wii U. I know they did a, they released it on Game Boy Advance. Uh, of course, this is the the Super Nintendo version, which is pretty expensive if you try buying it off of eBay. Um, and then I think they didn't they also release it for the PlayStation as well. Uh, yes, they did. That's right. They, they called it Final Fantasy Anthology. Which this segues nicely into the next era of games. And this is where I think games really start transitioning from that old school to the new school. Because uh, there's, you know, there's quite a few changes that we start seeing in this point, uh, in addition of just the improving quality of music and graphics. And the Nintendo would be slow to adopt, but uh, PlayStation and Xbox, this is where they started introducing games that were played on CD. Yeah, same with uh, a couple of the uh, Sega at that time was discs. Yeah, because I know they came out with the Sega CD attachment for the Genesis, but from what I understand, that system was kind of hit or miss. Um, yeah, and there was the Dreamcast. Yeah, the... I'm not familiar with the Dreamcast. Have you ever played that particular system? I only played it once when I was at a friend's house. Yeah, the, the system really didn't interest me. Of course, it was mostly the game that I played. really wasn't one that I was interested at the time to play. So the system really didn't pique my interest. Yeah, and with improving technology, we also saw, of course, more of the online component. And this is where we started to see more online play. Now, I don't know if the PlayStation, if the PlayStation 1 could do online. Uh, I know with Xbox, you could do online play with that if you got an, on, an Xbox Live membership. Uh, do you know, do you have to know if the Dreamcast allowed online play? Yeah, I can't remember that. I think it was uh, PlayStation 2, which started to introduce the uh, online feature for them. Yeah, which, you know, again, this is what, uh, where I was saying before, how the X-Fan, in a way, was kind of ahead of its time because it was trying to give con people who played consoles as opposed to computers, tried to give you a way to play games with um, anyone. Just unfortunately with X-Fan, it just ended up being uh, crashing and burning into a big disaster. And I, I think this is also a time where we start to see the downloadable content, which... It's kind of a mixed bag. I know it's something that we see to this day, but what's your opinion on downloadable content? It It's hit, hit or miss. So sometimes I like it because it gives you, you know, what they call uh, mod packs. I think it some is referenced as, where it gives you different armor, different skins, you know, more weapons for uh, the game. Other times... You know, it gives you more side quests. Again, I have mixed opinions on downloadable content as well. So this is my opinion, my opinion where we start really seeing that transition. Whether the game was designed to be played as just a game or whether it had this emphasis on downloadable content, online play, 
and a nice little thing called microtransactions, which we'll talk about in a moment. Uh, your opinion on that, sir? Well, my opinion on uh, that topic really deals with what the player is more interested in. Are they interested in just plain console-type games, or are they really into wanting to expand their network and play a game with other people that are farther away? Because, you know, you trying to get with your friend to play a two-player game, you know, it's kind of hard. You know, much less trying to bring your friend over, finding a game that both of you would like to play together, and then, you know, try and play a game that's two-player that allows you to either A, play against each other, or B, my favorite, play with. Mm -hmm. But that's one of the things with the downloadable type games is where you can now play with other people that are, like, across the country. Yeah, and one game uh, I know from this particular... Well, actually, it probably would be considered the next era, the Wii, but with uh, with the PlayStation, uh, one game that... Actually, it was the Xbox, I'm sorry. Uh, one game I had that I uh, enjoyed the online aspect to was Jedi Knight uh, 2... I'm sorry, Jedi Academy 2... Jedi Knight, because that one, it had a very strong single-player aspect, but it also had some good online features. But one of the things I liked about how that game was designed, it was made in such a way that you could use those multiplayer features on your game, you know, in your home without being having to be connected to the internet. So you could just play against computer-controlled characters if you wanted to. So what are some of your favorite games from the PlayStation and 64 Xbox era? Well, since uh, I stopped getting Nintendo systems until once I got the Super Nintendo, I took a pause from the Nintendo system and went PlayStation. Of course, I didn't go PlayStation until PlayStation 2 came out. And a friend of mine, when he got PlayStation 2, gave me all of his old PlayStation 1 games. So of the PlayStation 1 games, mainly I played all the Final Fantasy games that he had, plus the Dukes of Hazard. Yeah, I'd have to say some of my favorite games from the Xbox and PlayStation era, uh, Star Wars Knights of the Old Republic, number one and number two, uh, those were two of my favorite games. I know you've also played those games quite a bit as well. Yep. Uh, Jedi, you know, Jedi Knight to, I'm sorry, Jedi Academy to Jedi Knight. That was another good one. Uh, also, another one that I really got into was Electronic Arts: uh, Return of the King, because they had uh, the, because they had the rights to do the games based on Lord, the Lord of the Rings movies. Uh, the first one, Dark Tower, the Two Towers, it was okay, but. The third, the the next one, the sequel, the Return of the King, actually significantly improved on the gameplay uh, for uh, the Two Towers. So that was one of the other games that really stood out in my mind from that era. I know another game franchise of that time I liked was Dead or Alive. Yeah, I haven't played that one. What was that one like? Well, it's the series that I. I got into, you know, after uh, Street Fighter, because it's basically similar type of games, game style, just with different type of characters. 
Okay, so it's basically a fighting game. Yeah, you know, like Street Fighter. Okay. Um, so this brings us now to, well, almost to the current age. This is the three six age of the 360, the PS3, and the Wii. So, you know, of course, here we have with some of these games the more that the more of a reliance on uh, downloadable content and online play. But what's another thing that we see during this time that we didn't really see very much of in earlier year earlier eras? Well, the big thing is online play is major emphasis mm -hmm. on this generation. Yeah, because more people during this time now had high-speed internet. And the nice thing is since they didn't have to rely on dial-up, they could, you know, they could sit at home playing online games for several hours without uh, having to, you know, tie up their phone line. This is where I, my personal problem with some of the games nowadays is they do rely too heavily on either downloadable content or the online component. And let me give you an example. Remember that I talked about uh, Jedi Academy 2 Jedi Knight. How, or maybe it's Jedi Knight 2 Jedi Academy. It's one of them. Um, the way that game was designed, you could have a lot of fun with it both online and offline. But a couple of years ago, I picked up Transformers War for Cybertron after it had been out for a while. One of the things I didn't like about it is that game was designed too heavily, I think, with online components, the online component in mind. Uh, the story mode, I beat it in about 10, 11 hours. And I, I really wanted to try the online mode because you can make your own Transformer and, you know, customize them and level them up. The problem is the multiplayer functions like that only work online. So you'd, you'd have to uh, have an Xbox Gold membership in order to be able to make use of that feature. Uh, and then a couple other games I played that relied too heavily on downloadable content. Uh, one was Final Fantasy IV The After Years. Now, the Final Fantasy IV The After Years is the sequel to the game we know as Final Fantasy II on the Super Nintendo. And I like the idea, the story behind it, because you get to play as the, the characters that you got to play in the first one, but some of them have children that you get to play as as well, and there's new characters. Now, I don't like how it was released for the Wii, because here's what you had to do. First, you spent $5.00 to purchase the introductory story, which had a Seodor's a tale and Kane's tale. After you get through with that, which that particular uh, part only takes about five hours to get to the story, and then there's other things you can do uh, optional. But if you want to play to the end of the game, you have to pay another $3 to buy chapter to buy the next chapter. However, if you want to be able to access all the other characters and get the best items, you have to buy the other chapters for each of the characters. For example, Rydia has a chapter, her own chapter. Uh, the twins, Palum and Porum, they have each have their own chapters. Yang, you know, Edward, they also have their own chapters. Edge, 
Now, the thing that is kind of nice about buying these other chapters, though, they give you more background on the story, but they also give you additional characters, like, for example, Edge's uh, story. When you complete that version, it gives you the option to uh, import the information from that into the next section uh, called the Planet Eater. That's, again, the, the final segment of the game. And what's nice is that way you keep all the levels you gain, all the equipment you found, but in the case of uh, Edge's Tale, you get four additional characters that you can play as. But again, like I said, the problem with this, if you really wanted to get the, true, the, the full story and be able to get some really good items, you had to buy each of them individually. And if, if you did buy everything, it came out to about 30-some dollars. So with that price, I'm like, okay, why didn't they just release it as a game instead of making us buy all this, this uh, downloadable content? Um, so what are your thoughts on the After Years? Have you played that game? I, I played it a little bit. I The version I got is for the PSP, which had, which that version had the original first version of Final Fantasy IV. Then it had the After Years version. But then it also came with another version that took place in between those two storylines. Well, we're about out of time here, so the I know there's still a little bit more, but we could talk about with the current generation, you know, the Xbox One, uh, PlayStation 4. Have you played either of those games? or? Yeah. I just haven't really gotten to past the point of beating it. I get to the stage where it's like, well, if you go from here on out, you might as well face the final boss. Because the only time I've really had to play it is when I go on deployment. Yeah, because I don't, I haven't played on Xbox One, and I don't intend to. Uh, I'm just not really interested in a lot of the games for that, that I've heard about for that. Not interested in PlayStation 4. We do have a Wii U, uh, mainly because one of my favorite games on the Wii was uh, Smash Brothers Brawl. And I know they're coming out. I'm not sure if it's out yet, but I know they're coming out with a Super Smash Brothers for the the Wii U, so I definitely want to check that one out when I have the chance. But I know one Nintendo tried the thing with the portable with the tablet controller, which have you seen it or have you heard about it? No, I can't say I've seen it. Well, the tablet controller is this bulk it's not too bulky, it's fairly comfortable to hold, but it's a box that's maybe about seven, eight inches wide. Or um, or long, about four, about five, six inches wide, you know, a couple inches deep, and it has a touchscreen on it. And I think what they were intending to do is like, this would give you additional options, like uh, with inventory management for certain games. Uh, also, with the tablet controller, it would allow you to do different things uh, depending on which player you were. Uh, but one thing I do actually like about the tablet controller, and like I said, I know I've heard some people say they don't like it and that they've given a lot of heat, but there are some games where you can play the game on the tablet instead of on the TV. So that's kind of helpful because if, like, my wife and I want to watch TV and my son wants to play a game on the Wii U, excuse me, uh, my son wants to play a game on the Wii U, he can just take the tablet and play it on that. So Personally, I kind of think that I thought that I thought that was a nice feature, anyways. Yeah, I know the uh, Vita has a similar 
thing for uh, certain games. Um, any particular games from the the Xbox 360 to the current era that uh, that you're you really enjoy or that uh, really stand out to you? Well, as you know, I'm mostly a role player, so most of my 360 games are role playing type games. So I got like Dragon Age, Fable, the uh, Final Fantasies. Yeah, and I have to say some of my favorites from the current era, uh, Super Smash Brothers Brawl, Mario Kart Wii, I really enjoyed that one. Um, I actually really got into Minecraft. Well, my son decided he wanted to get it on a whim, and I actually enjoyed it. It's a decent game. So those are some of my favorite games. I'd like to thank you again for listening to this episode, and so hope you have a good evening which I always say evening because Steve and I usually record this uh, late at night um, because of our the different time zones we're in. So as we said before, have a good night or morning or afternoon, whatever it is, wherever you are, and happy gaming. See talk you next time. Yep, talk to you guys later. Yep, and next time we'll be talking about old school and role-playing games. Have a good one. Talk to you guys later.